Great. So hi, everybody. Um, welcome to Art From Here. My name's Hannah. I'm digital program manager at Latitude 53. Um, Latitude 53 is an artist-run center located on Treaty 6 territory. We acknowledge that so-called Edmonton is located on the ancestral and traditional territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, Nakota Sioux, as well as the Métis. Our recognition of this land is an act of reconciliation and an expression of our gratitude to those whose territory we reside on or are visiting virtually or in person. So today's studio visit is a part of Art From Here, which is a project that highlights an artist or artists uh, monthly and gives them a platform to share with the community what they've been what they're currently working on or thinking about. This is a project that we've been working on since spring of 2020 in partnership with the Mitchell Art Gallery, Otsutsiwan, and the Society of Northern Alberta Print Artists. So this month, we're featuring a really special project called Weaving to Reclaim, which is a collaboration between um, Fern Facet and Fatmi Al-Khadri. So I'll do a quick little introduction of both of the artists before passing it along to them to get tonight's conversation started. So Fatmi is a first-generation settler on Amasquatchi Waskaikin from Safad, Palestine. She is a multidisciplinary artist and has studied visual art, fine art, craft, whoa, fine art, graphic design, prose, and performance art through a variety of experiential opportunities. Um, Fatmi uses her art practice to explore and express her identities. And Fern Facet is an Edmonton-based fiber artist who has been weaving for nearly two decades. She is a passionately engaged artist who shares knowledge and encourages others to discover textiles. She founded Fern's School of Textile Craft in 2017, um, which is a place where fiber artists from across Canada meet to carry on the long tradition of sharing skills and knowledge. So thank you everyone for being here tonight. And now I'm gonna pass things over to Fern and Fatmi. Awesome, thanks Hannah. Thank you so much for sharing those intros and getting us all settled here. Um, so I am acting as the host tonight. So um, I am going to uh, be asking me some questions about our project. Um, before we get into all of that, um, we, we both wanted to say thank you to the Art From Here folks for um, uh, inviting us to be part of this and welcoming us into the Edmonton uh, Arts community. That's very nice of you. Um, and I also, I have not had the chance to say Eid Mubarak to Fatmi <laughs> because I think it was yesterday uh, marked the end of Ramadan. That's right, Fern. Thank you so much. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I hope that it was a really awesome month for you and all your friends and family. Um, okay, Whew. so I'm um, getting started. Um, I just wanted to uh, back the bus way up and talk a little bit like about the start of our project. Um, so, um, started we so Fatmi and I we met back in 2017 um, at a, an event called Tetris and and tea um, Tetris is a traditional Palestinian um, embroidery um, which is like traditionally done to embroider um, dresses 
Um, so Fatmi, sorry, Fatmi was a, one of the organizers or the organizer? <laughs> one of many. <laughs> one of many. Um, and um, I attended the event and we met there. Um, uh, and then shortly after that, we also met again at the Royal Bison where um, she came by and we were like, hey, I know you from this. Um, and then that was your first time on a loom, right? Yeah. Um, so we had met a few times and then in May of 2020, I got an email in my inbox and it was fought me and she said, hey, maybe you remember me. We met at this place and this place and I have this dream of weaving a kafia. Um, so um, she gave me a brief description of what the kafia was and asked me if it was possible. So I thought maybe just to give people some context, um, my first question is, Fatmi, can you please for us describe uh, the kafia and maybe show us one? Absolutely, great question, Fern. Great way to start. Thanks for introducing the project. And thank you again, Hada, for introducing both of us and for hosting this space for us today. Um, yeah, so the kafia, I do have my kafia here today. I pulled it out for uh, to show you all at Art From Here. So the kafia is a very large square scarf and it's made of cotton, it's woven cotton. Um, and it's traditionally folded uh, like from one corner of the square to the other corner of the square. So it becomes like a triangle shape. And traditionally it's worn over your head as a head covering to protect you from the elements like the sun. Um, and there are many different forms of the kafia. Uh, this one in particular is a symbol of Palestinian identity. It also symbolizes solidarity and resistance against the occupation in Palestine. Oh, I wanted to mention that um, I'll likely be using Arabic words over the English words of Arabic words. So if I do that, I'll just describe it to you all in English uh, in case you're not familiar with the Arabic words. Um, so Palestine is Palestine. Yeah, so uh, there are three distinct patterns in the kafia. I'll show you all so you can become a little bit more familiar with them. We don't know exactly what each of the patterns mean, um, but we've done a lot of searching and there are some different ideas of what they mean. Um, primarily um, this pattern here in the center, it's the largest pattern in the kafia. Um, it's said to symbolize a fishnet. And then there are these um, patterns uh, towards the edges of the kafia that are kind of stripy, more uh, blocky. And these are said to represent trade routes. And then my favorite pattern of the kafia is uh, the pattern on the edges, which is said to represent olive leaves. So I hope that's clear to everybody. You can see all of that. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit of an introduction to the kafia. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, that was totally clear. Could could Great. very much see, even though you were like behind the scarf. You couldn't, <laughs> couldn't see what we were saying. Um, so, can you tell us where you got this kafia and what does it mean to you? Yeah, this kafia, I got it from the Hirbawi textile factory in Palestine or Palestine. Um, the Hirbawi textile factory is in Hebron in Palestine, um, and it's the only remaining factory that produces the kafia in Palestine. 
and it's founded and run by the Herbawi family. So it's been in their family for generations. Um, and this kafia means so much to me because um, it's from my homeland. It's actually one of the only things that I own that was made in my homeland. So I feel like it really connects me um, to my land. And we have always had kafias in my home. I can't remember a time that we haven't had a kafia in our home. Um, but they were never made in Palestine. So this is the first kafia particularly that I have owned that was made in Palestine. And when I first got this kafia, um, I was extremely protective over it. It felt like, and it still does feel like very precious to me, very priceless, one of a kind. Um, so for probably the first six months that I owned it, I actually had it hung in my room as an art piece and it was always there displayed. And it took me a few pep talks from my best friend for me to be able to take it down from the wall and actually um, use it and wear it and you know cherish its intended use as a piece of um, cloth and a textile that I can wear. And, um, so now I, I do enjoy it as a scarf and I wear it around um, and I really love it. So even though I feel like it's so precious to me, it's still really important to me to be able to use it. Um, and since it's made in Philistine, it feels like a very rare uh, piece to me. Um, it's just rare, I think, to own things made in Philistine generally. So yeah, it's pretty special. And I can really tell, I like from the first time that I uh, like touched this kafia from the Hirbawi textile factory, I could tell that so much mastery and skill had gone into weaving this cloth, especially compared to the other kafias that I had owned that were not made in Palestine. Um, so this kafia is the cloth is quite robust and quite stiff. So it has a stiff drape compared to the other kafias that are like pretty thin and I feel like can wear down really quickly. This one I feel like will last me my whole lifetime and beyond. And I feel like um, the kafia, since it so distinctly symbolizes Palestine, uh, I feel like I really identify with it myself and I feel a sense of belonging with this kafia. Like it was made in uh, the place that I originated from where my family originated and that's very empowering to me. Um, but at the same time, this kafia, I feel like a sense of loss with it um, since the Herbawi textile factory is the final uh, place in Philistine that manufactures the kafia, which is so wild to me, like something that's so distinct to Philistine, there's only one remaining factory that produces it in our homeland. Um, but yeah, because of that, I feel like that sense of loss. And I think that really contributed to why I feel like this is such a precious piece and I have to protect it because I feel like it could be taken from me or lost um, very easily. Mm -hmm. um, put me, you gifted me a kafia, and I think it took me like six months to take it out of the package. <laughs> So I felt similarly, I just like, it seemed almost too precious to wear, but then, oh, it felt so great. It, it's such a like, it's, it's like, it's so light and also so large to just like have it draped around you does feel so lovely. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so like when you emailed me, this is kind of a fun check-in. I've never asked you this question before. Like, how how did it come to you, this idea of attempting to weave a kafia by hand yourself? 
I guess we never did talk about this. It's pretty funny to me, <laughs> but it was super spur of the moment. Um, I was just kicking it on my couch doing some research um, on kafiyas, searching the web, and I came upon the Hidabawi Textile Factory website for the very first time. And as I was browsing their website, I they have um, pictures and videos of how they produce the kafiya in their factory. And uh, I saw a loom and I was like, oh my gosh, this is how the kafiya is made. I know somebody who owns a loom um, because just a few months prior to that time in at the last in-person Royal Bison before COVID in December, um, we had run into each other and you had a loom at Royal Bison. And that was my first time ever seeing a loom. And then you also were inviting people to sit at the loom and you know throw the shuttle a couple of times. So I recognized I recognized the loom and I thought, okay, uh, I just kind of made that connection with you. Um, and then I guess because of that community outreach that you had been doing at Royal Bison Fern, um, I felt like weaving was sort of like, it became something that I could see myself doing. I think before I didn't really understand what weaving was um, and it didn't really seem like anything possible to me, anything that I could do or take part in. Um, but because you had made it so accessible and the way that you had just sat me down at the loom and I was just like weaving straight, straight away at Royal Bison, it made me feel like this is possible for me. I could sit down at a loom and weave something maybe. So um, while I was just like there looking at the, uh, Hidabawi Textile Factory website, I saw that possibility that maybe my own hands could create this very important symbol of my identity. Um, and then up until that point, or like even past that point, I had never woven before other than that one minute I spent at your loom at Royal Bison. So I think um, that I felt like I could email you after um, like, you know, recognizing that the kafia is made on a loom. I felt like I could email you and ask, like, is this possible um, for me to hand weave a kafia? I feel like that I even felt like I could contact you about that really spoke to your special ability for and to make difficult things feel possible. Um, I think the textile world often feels super inaccessible. So I'm just always really grateful <clears throat> for you. Um, and your ability to make difficult things um, accessible for people. And I was thinking about it today and I was like, it's almost two years to the date that I first emailed you um, in May, 2020. Um, so yeah, here we are now in this journey of experimentation, um, always keeping an open mind with this project of uh, attempting to hand weave a kafia. Um, and yeah, it's been such a wonderful journey to say the least. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Oh, yeah. Cool. So um, I wanted to share a little bit about how the project has evolved. So um, from that in initial email, we're like, yeah, let's try this with the caveat of me being like, uh, I don't even know if this is possible. The looms that Herbawi have are like huge, like power mechanized looms. And the most complex loom that I have is an eight shaft floor loom. So to this day, um, <laughs> we're still working out how we are going to do this. Um, and all along, we've kind of known that it may not be exactly 
um, like the kafia that you showed us earlier, but um, that's just part of our process and like, yeah, the exploration. Um, so um, that was like our original goal is for Fatmi to weave the kafia. Um, and then as our project evolved, um, we thought um, let's do four small projects and each of them will be like kind of skill builders to get Fatmi ready to weave this like huge gigantic scarf. Um, and at first those um, uh, other projects were, um, we hadn't really like put a lot of thought into them. Um, we were just like, we'll weave a rug, we'll, re we'll weave a placemat. Um, but then as we started like uh, getting all these books and looking at lots of like traditional dresses and rugs and books with pictures of Palestinian weavers, um, it was very like, yeah, I think very quickly evident. As soon as we entered that planning stage, we were like, well, what color are we gonna use? Let's draw inspiration from all this stuff we're looking at. Um, so um, the first uh, project included uh, kind of like two pieces and a study. And um, so what Fatmi did was um, she did a lot of hand manipulation within those pieces. And um, I wanted uh, that hand manipulation. So I'll show you this one here, which you'll recognize the um, the motifs of the kafia that are uh, inlaid within to like the woven cloth, like all done by hand. Um, I wanted to ask Fatmi specifically about um, about the other ones, since you shared already a little bit about the motifs of the kafia. Um, we have a large, long um, table runner with uh, this inlay design that Fatmi designed, um, um, which was inspired by um, am amulets. Um, so we've looked at a lot of embroidery and we noticed that there was a lot of embroidered amulets in dresses. And so, um, um, that was how the idea to bring those into the weaving came about. So I wondered if you could speak more about um, about those amulet inlay patterns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the table runner, we do have two amulets woven within the cloth. Uh, like Fern said, um, using my hands, I manipulated the fibers to allow myself to weave those motifs within the larger cloth. Um, and the amulet is a symbol of protection and good luck. And it's often utilized um, in many different cultures. In Palestinian culture, it's utilized. Um, it would sometimes be worn as jewelry, uh, like an amulet would be worn as a necklace. Um, and then um, as um, uh, like throughout the progression of embroidery on Palestinian clothing, amulets would also be embroidered directly on the clothing itself. So while Fern and I were doing research on um, sort of uh, clothing in the, the Jalil, in the Galilee region of Palestine, um, which is the region that I'm from. It's um, the northern part of Palestine. Um, we were taking a look at the dresses and the clothing of that part of Palestine. 
And we noticed that the embroidery on the clothing was different than any embroidery I had ever seen on um, any dresses of uh, Palestinian clothing. And it's, it was a lot more geometric and triangular than the embroidery I would typically see on dresses in Palestine. Um, so we began to recognize those motifs that were embroidered as amulets. Um, and they were often, often embroidered on the dresses in the Jalil region. So Fern and I decided to incorporate um, the amulet motif into uh, the table runner, um, particularly because um, it's, it's a symbol that connects me to my region in Palestine. And my region in Palestine, um, there's not very much about it preserved. Um, because uh, the expulsion of the Palestinians in that area happened very, very early on into the Nakba or the catastrophe in Palestine. So um, very, very early on, um, there were no more uh, Palestinian people left in that region of Palestine. So it's really, it still is very challenging for us to access any knowledge about um, my particular homeland in, or my particular hometown in Palestine. But um, we did discover that this amulet was this, or this symbol of the amulet was significant to that region. Um, so yeah, we decided to incorporate it into the table runner. Um, I had taken inspiration from the amulets that we were seeing embroidered on clothing and books and uh, through museum collections. And um, I created my own amulet. I had designed my own amulet for our work. Um, so yeah, that amulet on the table runner is a symbol of protection and good luck. And it um, connects me directly to uh, the motif that is often embroidered on uh, clothing in the Galilee. Awesome. And then there's also a study of amulets that Fami did that are, are just so beautiful. I've got a nice little stack of them here. Um, side note, have you seen that totally adorable um, uh, reality TV show on Netflix called Old Enough. No, like to like uh, toddlers on errands. They're like, oh, little <laughs> this little guy is gonna go to the fish market and like get some fish. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> it's adorable, and I noticed that they put that they put these like little amulet bags on them to protect oh. them. I mean they're totally protected by like the TV crew the whole time, but as like additional protection, they have little amulets. So that was oh. a really cute way to see amulets being used um, uh, in day-to-day -day life as well. Um, so can you share with us um, what the weaving process has been like for you in this first project? And did anything change from start to finish or just what was what was weaving like for you in this project? Great question, Fern. Um, so when I think about the process, the first thing I think about is to describe it is long and slow. <laughs> we have been working on this first project of the placemat table runner and the series of amulets since June. So it's been almost one year that we have dedicated to these um, textile works. And um, throughout the process, there have been a lot of moments of celebration. I honestly feel like every moment that I spent on this work 
has been a moment of celebration um, with every um, day that I build up uh, our projects and weave more and more. It feels like, uh, yeah, just very exciting for us. Um, something really important for me um, in this past year was that weaving was something that was very consistent for me amidst a lot of change and inconsistency uh, in the past year. And I really felt a sense of sanctuary at the loom and at the studio. So I knew no matter what my week held for me that twice a week I would be going into the studio, I'd be seeing Fern, I'd be seated at my loom um, and engaging with this work. Uh, so although, yeah, the process has been very consistent and uh, building up in a very beautiful way, um, throughout the journey also in the past year, there's been a lot of discovery of myself, of my heritage, of weaving, um, and of note, there's been a lot of undoing work and redoing work and lots of restarting work as well. So there have definitely been challenges as I learn this practice of weaving. And in terms of anything changing since last year until now, um, I think that I have changed a lot. Um, I have learned how to be slow. I've learned how to cultivate focus and presence in my mind and body as I work at the loom, uh, which is not something that comes naturally to me. Um, I've learned how to overcome failure and keep trying despite that. And I feel one year later, so much more resilient and so much more capable of facing loss and working hard to reclaim my identity despite any despair and sorrow that I feel. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely, it is such a slow process that it does really allow a lot of space for just sitting still and, and you know, just thinking about any number of things. So, yeah. Um, can you, what is my next question? Uh, yes, so I have, um, over the past couple years, I've witnessed you exploring your Palestinian identity in a multitude of ways. I've got, um, I've got this issue of Hungary here where Fatmi has some writing. Um, um, so I've seen you explore um, your Palestinian identity through writing and uh, through hanging out with your best friend, Rania, and making food, Palestinian dishes, um, etc. So I was wondering, um, where's my question? <laughs> Does weaving in particular offer something different than those other things? That's a really good question, Fern. Um, definitely, yeah. Um, I absolutely, yes, weaving is distinct for me. I do reclaim my identity through many avenues and mediums, through my relationships in my life, through cooking, through writing. And of course, there's a lot of similarities um, between weaving and other things. Um, weaving, like cooking and writing, it requires a very refined skill set. And I feel like I'm very slowly cultivating that skill set for myself in the same way I would cultivate those skills for other things. Um, but weaving offers um, something distinct for me because uh, 
it allows me to slowly and incrementally create work um, with my hands and it grows before my eyes. And the pieces can take me weeks or months to complete. And then once I've completed them, I can roll them off the loom and hold them in my hands. So um, at the end, there's something tangible and tactile uh, that I'm holding in my hands um, that I can then preserve as an ancestor myself for my future generations. Um, and weaving is also distinct because it's something that belonged to me and my people. It's something that is in my ancestry. It's something that was lost and taken from us. Um, and that loss was so catastrophic that even the knowledge of weaving existing in my hometown, let alone the practice of weaving, just the knowledge that weaving existed for us, that knowledge could not be passed down in my family anymore. So I now have to discover knowledge about weaving in Palestine through books. Um, like I'm not able to turn to my family or my ancestors to learn about that. Um, and so when I'm sitting at my loom, I feel many things. Um, primarily, I feel loss and I feel power. I feel powerful. I feel the power of taking something back that was mine. And that feeling of loss and power is a challenging juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah, I could see how that would be. Um, and that's also, it's so beautiful um, what you said about um, weaving items that will be heirlooms that you pass down for generations. I really love that. Um, so my second last question is what has been, it's sort of a two-parter, I guess. So feel free to choose one or the other. Um, what has been the biggest challenge and the biggest achievement so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there have been lots of challenges and lots of achievements. Um, the biggest challenge is definitely the loss. Um, this work is emotionally painful for me, and I couldn't have ever anticipated the oceans of loss and heartbreak I would feel on a regular basis as I do this work. Um, I think I imagined myself when I began this work as a, this fierce, strong, powerful, Palestinian woman resisting uh, the settler colonial eradication of Palestinian identity and that in this work I would collect and preserve and share uh, the fragmented textile knowledge um, in Palestine and I definitely am like strong fierce and powerful in my identity um, and this work of reclamation is inherently resistance against cultural erasure but I didn't realize that holding the hand of reclamation inevitably is grief. Um, because to need to reclaim something, I would have had to lose something. Um, so I have a lot of questions about weaving in Palestine, about textiles in my heritage, and particularly about the kafia that I simply cannot find answers to. So I have these curiosities and wonderings and I'm searching so hard um, to find knowledge. Um, and I didn't fully comprehend how difficult it would be to gain the knowledge that I'm seeking about weaving in Palestine. 
And actually to call it difficult is an understatement. It feels more like impossible um, to try to gain that knowledge. So alongside the loss that I feel, um, I also feel this creeping fear that what if the knowledge I'm seeking is gone forever and I can never find it? And to continue to overcome that grief every day and keep trying anyways is extremely challenging. Um, yeah, so that's definitely been, been the biggest challenge um, and it's an emotional challenge. There have been challenges um, practically as well as I leave the work and learn this new medium. Um, but now to turn to something more happy, um, uh, my biggest achievement, um, it's, very, it's a very distinct memory and something that makes me so happy. Um, it, was, um, it was December and it was uh, the last day that you and I would be meeting for the year before we were taking, I think it was a month break um, for the winter holidays. And um, we were finishing up uh, the placement and table runner. So I was hemming the edges, I was tucking in um, the thread ends, and we were doing all of that work to complete the pieces, we were steaming them, and yeah, and Tony was there, your dog, the whole night cheering me on and also rushing us to the door because he was so eager to go home. <laughs> um, but anyways, since we weren't going to be meeting for so long, we had decided that I would take the placemat and table runner now completed home with me so that I could share them um, with my family, with the, my friends that I'd be seeing over the holidays. And um, so that night I got home like at around nine o'clock and I gathered my whole family in one room. And I said, come see what we made. And I unrolled the table runner and the placemat. Um, and they all looked at them and they were like, wow, it's so amazing. They were so proud of our work. Um, and I, my mom in particular, I feel like looked at every single inch of the pieces and really appreciated them. And just to celebrate with them and share in the joy um, of the work that we had been doing for so many months was really special to me. And I love that memory so much. Um, so yeah, sharing the work with my family was a big achievement for me. And I can't wait to continue to share our work with the people that we love. Yeah, that sounds like a really great moment for sure. Awesome. Um, so it's 640, do we have time, Hannah, for more questions? Did you have another question on your list? I have one, I have one more question. Yeah, let's, let's do your last question. And then more. after that, We'll open it up um, to the audience for, for if they have any questions for either of you. Okay, sounds good. Um, so my last question for Fatmi, um, what is your hope for this project or what is the ideal outcome? I think this is the hardest question because I feel like every day of this project has been a dream that's so dreamy that I couldn't have even dreamt it in my wildest dreams. Um, so everything that the project has been, everything that it is already, is already my ideal outcome. Um, and it's exceeding everything that I could have ever hoped for or imagined. Um, but beyond cherishing 
the project every single day and how special it is. Um, I do have hopes um, and I my ideal outcome is to continue enjoying my time with you, Fern, in this work um, uh, and to continue to grow my skills as a weaver. Um, I hope to continue to fail and to keep trying. Uh, I definitely hope that we can publicly exhibit and showcase our work once all four projects are completed in the near future. Um, and I hope that we can um, use the pieces that we weave, that we can make memories with them um, and you know, put them to their intended use. And of course, my biggest dream is that I can someday return to my homeland, that I can meet the Hirbawi family, that I can learn about the kafia from them, and that I can meet Palestini hand weavers and learn directly from them about the textiles of my homeland and weaving in Palestine. Amazing. Yeah, I, I hope all of those things will be true. <sighs> Thanks, Fern. All right, so if anybody has any questions, um, feel free to pop them in the chat or you can ask them out loud if you're comfortable. Um, yeah, we got about like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, so got lots of time. Um, it looks like Rania has her hand up. Go ahead, Rania. <laughs> thank you, Fatmi, and thank you, Fern. This was so amazing. Oh, I guess I can turn my camera on. I have two questions. I have one for each of you. Uh, this was so incredible. Um, I'll guess I'll ask Fern first. Fatmi, I'll give you a breather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my question for you, Fern, is if there's anything you've learned um, about being a weaver yourself through the process of these projects and maybe how the process of weaving the kithia is different. And Fatmi, my question for you to think about as you drink water is your favorite way to wear the kithia and why? Hmm. <laughs> I like that last one. Um, yeah, for me, um, definitely, I mean, there's so many different ways that this project has impacted me as a weaver. Um, like for one, I probably never would have tried inlay because weaving is so slow already to begin with <laughs> um, that like uh, incorporating techniques that like compound that and make it even slower I don't know if I have the patience for so like kudos to Fatmi for making all of these projects that were so incredibly time consuming um, and uh, also like on a really personal level it's um, made me start thinking about like uh, how can I incorporate uh, a more personal narrative within my own work as well because I probably could stay um, very much where I am now like just exploring pattern and color and like geometric shapes and stuff um, which is primarily what my weaving um, is um, but I'm seeing how powerful Fatmi's work has been and how meaningful it is, um, it's made me ask myself how, you know, how can I ask these questions 
about, you know, family and identity and stuff and kind of uh, introduce that into my own practice. Which remains to be seen, but I've got, I got some ideas. Karen, that was so beautiful. I can't wait to see how that manifests. You're such a wonderful weaver. And of course, I admire your work so much. Um, Rania, thank you so much for the questions um, and for reminding me to drink water. <laughs> um, my favorite way to wear the kafia is as a hijab. So I love to wear my kafia as um, the scarf that um, I wear on my head. So yeah, I love to just like display it very prominently that way. I love to say, this is who I am. I am a Palestinian woman and I'm not afraid to say it. Um, so yeah, my favorite way to wear it is as a hijab, which lots of people have probably seen me wear it that way. <laughs> and I see uh, Lydia. Lydia, <laughs> thank you so much. Lydia says this presentation is everything. You're so kind. Um, what was the process like with designing the amulet? Great question, Lydia. Um, so the process of designing that amulet, so I designed nine amulets in total. Um, it took me a lot of time. Um, so uh, the amulets that I was looking at on the Palestinian clothing were cross-stitched. And to take something from a cross-stitch format to a woven format, uh, doesn't really, like it doesn't translate very well. So um, I had to sort of figure out ways to design what I was seeing um, into a structure that worked for us and um, the work that we were on. Um, so I spent a lot of time researching clothing in the Jalil region and um, I studied the embroidery on the clothing um, and identified the amulets and then with all of the various amulets that I was seeing either within books or in museum collections, um, I um, drew inspiration from all of that and then I designed my own amulets and then I think I designed like maybe 15 and maybe more Fern and I selected our nine favorite amulets um, but that process was also emotionally challenging because I was looking at um, clothing in Palestine from my region that was like no longer we had access to like they were tucked away in museum collections and I couldn't like they did not belong to us anymore um so yeah it was a strange thing to learn about the embroidery in my region and the motifs of my region from uh like you know museums that had uh, either you know like purchased the work for their collections um and that was kind of my only way of then being able to learn about that work Any other questions? Oh. Mitchell, go for it. Hello, thanks for sharing so far. I have a question for Fatme. Um, so far your projects have been quite, um, as you say, slow and lengthy and um, the months have gone on. I don't know if you've had time to do this, but 
do you have any big dreams to create other things after this series? And if so, what are they? Mm -hmm. Do you mean after um, the entirety of the project Weaving to Reclaim is complete? Or do you mean what's next for us in Weaving to Reclaim? Uh, both if you haven't talked about the last project, but okay. if not yeah. after that. Yeah, so we have not talked about what's coming next for Weaving to Reclaim. Fern, feel free to jump in here as well. Um, so for, we've just completed our first study, which is what we talked about tonight, the table runner placemat and series of amulets. And next we'll be exploring um, Palestinian clothing in our woven work. So we plan to weave a, a belt, a stripe um, belt that will have a silky texture. Um, that will be our next project, uh, clothing, in Philistine is often belted, whether it's for men or for women. So we're excited to explore um, that piece of uh, Palestinian dress um, in our next project. Um, and then for our third project, we are planning to weave two hijabs, so two scarves that would be worn as a hijab. Um, the fibers will be hand dyed with natural dyes that were used in Palestine um, with um, indigo and then a red color that we haven't chosen yet. Um, though, so that project will be um, a cotton scarf that will incorporate the motifs of the kafia, but instead of hand manipulated inlay this time, they will be woven um, you know, with the rest of the cloth. So that project three will set us up and provide us with the foundation for our fourth and final project, which is hand weaving the kafia itself. Um, and yes, that will be, yeah, our last project. Ooh, really big thing, hand weaving a kafia. So um, definitely keep updated with our project journal on our Instagram, weaving to reclaim. We're excited to keep sharing the work with you all. So if that is everything, if nobody has any other questions, I think we'll close out for the evening. Your last chance. <laughs> All right. So thank you um, to both Fern and Fatmi for sharing tonight. Fatmi, especially thank you for sharing your story through this project. This has been really, really special. Um, and I just want to give a quick reminder for anybody that hasn't checked out um, Fern and Fatmi's writing on Art From Here, please do. Um, and if you missed part of this talk or want to rewatch it, it'll be available in video and podcast form later this week. And yeah, stay tuned for the upcoming um, other parts of the Weaving to Reclaim project. You can follow them on Instagram at Weaving to Reclaim. And I just want to give a quick shout out. Thank you to Latitude 53, the Mitchell Art Gallery, SNAP and Otsitsi One um, for your support on this project. That's everything. Thank you everyone so much for coming. Lots of nice comments in the chat. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Hannah. Thanks Hannah. Bye everyone. Thank you so much. Good night everyone.